0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with a very exciting guest in Kevin Brick. So Kevin is the managing partner of Brick Business Law. And just based on the pre-call, I think we got a lot of really, really interesting stuff to talk about, not least of which is his very impressive growth over the last three years, pacing at 369%, which put him in the top 50 in the law firm 500, which is super, super impressive. So um, thanks for coming on the show, Kevin. Thank you. I'm glad to be on with you. Okay, awesome. And now just to kind of hop into this, as far as a little bit of the stuff we're talking about on the pre-chat, we've got a situation where, and I think I'm trying to think where I heard this, this quote, but uh, I heard there, there are lawyers and there are businesses that sell legal services. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, you guys are firmly in the second camp. So I wanted to ask you, what kind of led to your focus to shift on more of running the business as a business?
1: Well, one one of the issues is that I worked at a couple of law firms and I just didn't like how they were run. I thought it was difficult to be an associate. It was difficult to be a staff person just because of kind of a lack of well thought out operations and business processes. So when I started my practice back in 2015, I thought, you know, let's do something where it works and runs smoothly like a business does more so than sort of the traditional law firm.
0: Okay, gotcha. And as far as kind of the specifics, like, what do you think is, you know, I think a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are, you know, in, in more of a management or a leadership position, but like, what does that end up looking like for somebody on the ground level
1: when things aren't really thought out on that, that kind of level? As a law firm associate, I think you don't know what's always expected from you or of you or where the handoffs occur. And then sometimes if things fall through the crack, it's like, it just was expected that that should have been on your plate or on a staff person's plate. And so that's, you know, that's bad news for clients. It's bad news for associates and partners and everybody involved. So it it looks like more stress than just being a lawyer. If you're working at a law firm that doesn't run well. And a lot of clients, I think they don't really understand that. It's like, you know, a lot of the success of their case depends on hitting deadlines, you know, allocation of work appropriately, making sure that things run smoothly. And so I really think you owe it to your clients to, to make sure and your employees to make sure things are operationally smooth.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially like these days, too, when the hiring market's about as crazy as it's ever been. And, you know, salary is one thing, but, you know, you can make the best offer in the world to somebody. But if they realize that, like, the firm has been absolutely hell on earth to work in after yeah. six months, like, you know, then they're going to start entertaining offers from the recruiters. You know, they're going to be reaching out.
1: That's a whole big other thing that you touched on really is kind of the law firm culture that goes along with, you know, good operations is that, you know, when things run smoothly, people are a lot happier too. They want to know what their job is. They want to know what their scope of work is. And, you know, even if they're getting paid well and competitively, if they're kind of always stressed because the inner workings of the firm aren't good, they're going to leave even if you pay them well.
0: All right, so let's bring it back to twenty fifteen. So you've left the firm that you were working at, and you know we have this mission to get things started off the right way. What are the things that you were thinking about when you were starting the firm in terms of getting things really set up to succeed?
1: Well, I knew I always really wanted to work with small businesses. So one of the things that I knew was that it helped me to identify my client well and say hey, small business owners are people I really want to work with. I want to make sure that when we start the firm, it's just sort of geared around helping those people. And so one was kind of just the scope of services we wanted to offer. And I mean I really did want to set out initially at the beginning to run it like a business to try to address some of the, the these things we talked about earlier. Okay, gotcha. So I mean mostly the the focus on well that
0: kind of does inform it as time goes on, right? Cuz if your your scope is limited to specific services, it's easier to build an organization that's really really good at those services and like really really focused on that client avatar, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, very early on, really all I was doing was what I call business divorces, you know, like oh. <laughs> two partners fight over a business and, and uh, they want to split up. So really, I was doing I was doing just that and I was doing it pretty well. And then a lot of those clients, you know, after the breakup, so to speak, they wanted to keep me on as their general counsel. So that's that was kind of how we got going in terms of re- being pretty niche and then growing from there. Okay. I was
0: going to say, too, like based on the area, too, you know, Tampa, St. Pete, it's a lot of population, a lot of probably big, you know, business type firms. You must have had, you know, a decent competitive advantage for somebody who had just started being able to go toe to toe with some of those bigger things on the specific issues. And how did you think about kind of expanding the practices or the scope as time went
1: on? Well, I guess I was seeing really what small businesses needed. And so if I had a good relationship with somebody, you know, through the course of litigation, for instance, and they're like, well, now, now I've split off from my business and I need to start setting things up. I need to create an LLC. I need an operating agreement. I need to hire employees, all those things that kind of fell naturally within the scope of the relationship. And so we built out basically a full business litigation practice and then a, separately, but abutting it, you know, a full small business outside general counsel practice. Okay. So
0: that's interesting. So the, the the service areas kind of came to you in a sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think really the, you know, for me, a lot of it was relationship building. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I knew for me, a lot of the clients I was working on, they're not a good fit for big law firms, right? They're either too small or, you know, they get kind of get lost in the shuffle of of being there. And so I just felt like I wanted to take care of these people who they trusted me with their litigation stuff. And And now we're going to work together on building their business up.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, it sounds kind of simple too, but like for people that are kind of in the audience, like this is a, it's a theme that I think is super important. And I gotta ask you, Kevin, like, you know, if you started off as a more general business practice, like, you know, it might have been a slower start because like you don't really have that differentiation on day one, but you end up in the situation where you have a more diversified scope of what you can offer people, but it's because you had the clients that you had that huge advantage of based on how niche you were in the beginning, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, so people like mediators and people in other business areas, they they sort of I know that I came to mind to them quickly when they had a partnership dispute, internal company dispute. So that I was starting to get those referrals and being known for that. But if I was just doing general business, I think I would have been swimming in kind of a big sea of yeah. a lot of people doing
0: that. Yeah, gotcha. And um now you bring something up that I think is is kind of an interesting thing. So if we fast forward for to to today, are you still managing the relationships with clients or is that something that you've gotten to, you know, attorneys that are working for you right now?
1: A little bit of both. I mean, so we the way I grew is I hired I experienced attorneys and people It's in some circumstances, people I knew pretty well, but that are, were used to managing relationships. And so sometimes it will be, you know, me and another attorney together, but most of the time I've got another attorney who is taking the lead on a particular legal matter, but I may still be involved in the client relationship piece of it. Um, I would say most of the time I, I am involved in it. And some others, it's just them, you know, that they may have brought in a client on their own and that's the person they know. Or if it's somebody that came through me, then I, I would still kind of be involved in the day to day. Yeah. Cause it's it's one of these things that you kind of see, I mean,
0: look in, in law, but also a lot of other businesses too. Like there's almost this kind of golden handcuff situation where people mm-hmm. that are really good, like relationship builders sometimes get caught in being able to scale the business, but you've been in a position where you've been able to hire people. And I want to ask as far as because there has to be kind of that leap of faith, right? When you have other people and you can trust them to handle the relationships whether it's partially or fully. How do you gauge whether somebody's going to be good at that before you make them an offer? Like what kind of traits are you looking for in a person?
1: Well, so we kind of have like a like a driving principle of our business that helps us make all these decisions. So it's basically we believe that every business deserves excellent compassionate attorneys, right? That's kind of what we'd say. So the first thing is when I, when I look to hire somebody, they got to be really, really good at what they're doing. And that's kind of just, it has to be, you know, It's a, it's it, there's, there's no substitute for that. And then the second piece of it is kind of the wild card is, you know, are they compassionate? And so when I sit and talk with somebody, if they're really into helping small businesses and they really like what they're doing and I like them, <laughs> you know, usually yeah. that, that's a pretty good indicator because, you know, interviews are tough. But if you if you sit with somebody two or three times and you can kind of just feel that they've got that skill of managing and building relationships and they're professional and very good at what they do, that's usually gonna be kind of 90% of our match. Right. No, it's it's kind of interesting. It's like
0: the the skills are almost the table stakes, but I feel like you know for a lot of people that ends up being the the, the major determinant of whether the offer is. But you know, that's a really good point too, because and it's it's really hard to fake being genuinely enthusiastic about something in an interview. Like I mean, I'm sure you have probably had people it's like, oh yeah, I'm all about small business. <laughs> like are probably sussed out pretty quick. But no, that's that's really interesting. That, that's um, and if that ends, yeah, that sounds like you know that's, I could see that phone working for sure. Okay, so. I want to pivot to, you know, you were able to deliver a mission statement really, really clearly. I'm wondering at what point of the journey did this kind of become something that you guys were able to kind of rally and focus around?
1: Well, it's a funny thing because it was something that we all sort of felt by the people that we hired and the clients that we worked on and and the things we talked about in meetings, but probably not until maybe last year, five or six years into it, we really kind of we need to distill this into a statement that describes us really well and so you know excellence and compassion are just kind of the two things that kept coming out we actually do like a like a monthly incentive for people here who display the, one of those two qualities the best and so we actually reward you know excellent work and compassion
0: on a regular basis Okay, that's super cool. And um, you know, I'm actually kind of interested in this for for, for Casio as well. How do you end up doing this? Is it like uh, you know, like a gift? Is it a lottery? Is it like public? Like, what do you? Uh, how do you end up running the incentive? Like, super, super nuts and bolts.
1: Yeah, I mean, we just basically put a flat amount of money on the table for kind of the person that does it, and anybody can nominate anybody. in each month, uh, we'll have a award that goes to the person who, kind of, clearly was was the one who distri-
0: displayed it the best. Okay. It's super interesting though. You said nominate. So you're actually not only encouraging the behavior, but you're also encouraging people to look for the behavior.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, right out of the gate, everybody, I mean, it's something that we're doing naturally. And so I wanted to make sure it's not just kind of, Hey, another day at the office, we're doing something excellent. Nobody's really noticing. So everybody else is actually in a better position to notice this than I am because, you know, they're working on teams they're seeing client results they're doing everything where you know a paralegal might know hey this attorney was amazing in his hearing today and it was just above and beyond and, and just kind of did a great job and so that paralegal might nominate the attorney you know mm-hmm. no that's that's super cool and like you know i think it's
0: also just like a such a virtuous cycle of being able to i think it I mean it's like anything else it's like what people focus on kind of becomes like more front and center in their awareness. And it's just like, you know, especially, you know, between the nominations and the awards, all this stuff too. You, know, you can imagine, <laughs> not it was obviously there before, but, you know, just to kind of see that, that progress, it's a really, really interesting. Okay, now let's kind of shift back to it because, you know, you know, you're now the managing partner, but in terms of how you ended up getting there, what were kind of the major things that you started to take off your plate first? And like, you know, where are you at right now in terms of what you choose to focus your like time and energy on?
1: But it was a gradual process. So when I first started, it was just me. I didn't come in with a paralegal staff or anything. So, you know, the first thing I peel off my plate when I hired a paralegal was all the paralegal stuff and then an assistant and those things. And as we went on and on, I kind of gradually just started pulling roles out of my bucket of stuff I was doing. And so the last one really, when we started hiring associate litigators and some of my lead litigators were managing the cases. I kind of became a little more of a secondary role. And then I really, because we were growing, I I focused more on business development, relationship management, operations, and, and those things. And so that it was a tough process to do it. The most difficult part was probably mentally for me to feel comfortable giving things up. Yeah. That
0: was the hardest part. How'd you end up getting over this? I mean, I, it's kind of funny because I feel like this is, this is something that everyone who gets to a point where they have a business under them has to get to, but like, you know, were there any like, you know, concepts or thinkers or books or anything that helped you kind of get through that? Um, you know, having the strength to delegate, so to speak.
1: Well, I mean, it, it sort of was born out of necessity because just of of the amount of work that we had and and things coming in and wanting to do a good job serving people. So I really, we've hired really well. And so I just felt like, Hey, somebody who, you know, has had a great law career coming in here. And the answer is, you know, do I feel like I trust them? And when, the when the answer is yes, and they're doing a good job and eventually kind of taking things on, I just felt like you know, it was kind of baby steps and then bigger steps. And, and then we did it. I don't know that I had a, a particular resource, but it just, it, it kind of felt like it just was a shift in mindset. I mean, I, I'm in a couple of leadership groups, you know, and and so we talk about with other business leaders, not necessarily law firms, and they t- they talk about this as being a struggle across businesses, especially for people who are the founder, because mm-hmm. they feel like nobody can do it as good as me, and it's they're always wrong, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like this you you bring people in who are great, and surround yourself with great people, and you got to let them run, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also funny too. You've probably heard this one too. It's like, you know, the strength of the founder becomes like the weakness of, of the company. Right. Yeah, yeah. And okay. I mean, we have kind of a similar situation. Like it took me personally, like a really, really long time to get out of the sales role. Cause I was something I did a while, but you know, it's crazy. Cause like, even if you have the situation where you are the best raw talent at one like specific thing in the company as the founder. You might only get the chance to practice that talent 10, 20 hours a week tops, Mm -hmm. probably Mm -hmm. a lot less. So if you have somebody that's like, you know, good to start, like they're going to overtake you pretty soon, which I mean, a lot of people don't realize that it's just kind of funny, too, because it's just like I feel like there's a lot of attachment sometimes, especially at kind of the lower levels to people who they think. And I honestly think like the, like, you know, all the stories that people used to say about Steve Jobs, perfectionism, like took small business back like 50 years, because <laughs> a lot of times people are just like, you know, it's, it's, they, they think that this anxiety and perfectionism is like what it takes to succeed at the top. But it just like, no, that's what keeps people small, <laughs> like a lot yeah. of instances. And then, you know, also the the last thing too, and you mentioned this, but it was just like, when you have this situation where, you know, you're limiting the growth of your best people if, if you, you're constantly overseeing them, you know?
1: Yes, for sure. I mean, and, and I've seen that specifically because some of the people that I hired initially in a certain role, as we've grown and I have seen them grow themselves, they've been promoted. And the reason they've been promoted is because we've grown and we have a position above where they used to be. So right. it's like they've done so, so well and, and have taken over, taken ownership of the function so well. Then now they can manage somebody else doing it, which is just it's phenomenal for me. I, I love seeing that. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Now I want to switch to marketing in a little bit, but just before, kind of like little speed round. Like um, let's get nitty gritty. As far as like your whole process for you know, operations and stuff, what do you guys like? What are kind of the major platforms you guys use? Um, do you guys have any sort of like a project management software or like a practice manager or CRM? Like, what are kind of the major things that you guys are operating in on day to day?
1: So we we basically run all the day-to-day client management type of stuff through Clio. And so we um, you know, we we have used some other add-ons with Clio here and there, but I would say that's that really is the main thing. You know, we use LawPay and and some other things that integrate, but I would say, you know, we push 90 plus percent of, of our operations through Clio.
0: Okay. No, that's awesome. And like, if you get all that stuff in one platform, there's definitely a lot of advantages to doing that. Mm-hmm. And As far as kind of the, the human component to, to keeping operations running at the firm, I know it's like a big focus of yours, but do you have any like dedicated people that focus on this stuff on, as part of their job or is it mostly you at this point?
1: Well, so in terms of firm operations, it's me and then we have a, a firm administrator. And then we also have a person that handles marketing and client intake. So those are kind of the big business functions, I would say, in terms of the people that are, are performing them. And, you know, like the intake, the, the marketing analysis and the intake goes through one person that gets set up in Clio. And then our attorneys actually do the initial consultation. Mm-hmm. And so when we're, if we decide we're going to move forward, our firm administrator kind of takes it over, does the engagement agreement and then gets it set up. And then she kind of does the back end billing as well. So there's a little handoff internally on those things.
0: And then like um one thing I kind of want to point out too for the listeners as well it's like and I've this is something I've kind of been coming back to a little bit over like some recent podcasts but it's not just setting up the system. A lot of the times, too, it's just like you know, you have to make sure that every single person who's who's using it is is bought in and trained on it. I think, and you know, God bless him, but I think a lot, a lot of the uh, more, uh you know business operations software uh, make it out that it's just you know you know weigh the match wand and then you're gonna you're good to go. But you know, a lot of times too, just like anything else, like in any process, you're training people on, like you got to make sure that people are doing the stuff past that first week too because everyone seems to be paying attention to what happens. But you know the, the getting it uh you know it's it's sort of like you know get the keeping things as a well-oiled machine takes a lot of effort at the end of the day um for a lot of people but um so that's I mean, and that actually gives us a perfect segue for the marketing stuff. So I think we we're mentioning the pre-call in terms of one of the reasons that you guys have been able to grow as fast as you have was you know very targeted and you know purposeful marketing. So can you talk a little bit about what the the major thrust has been for you guys in marketing over the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, well, so we timing wise is sort of funny. I mean, we did a, dabbled a little bit in what I'll just call generally online marketing stuff. You know, Google Ads and SEO blogs kind of everything in that bucket and then when 2020 came you know I was I also you know did some in-person stuff business development and so when 2020 came we felt like oh man we don't really know where this is going to go but I know I'm not going to be doing much in person for a while so then we sort of switched gears and we just we pushed and focused a lot more kind of on our online marketing function as because we relied on that more and you know it, it's kind of we've done a lot of stuff in it. So like I mentioned, we did directory listings on on kind of some different platforms and tested those out and we revamped our website. And, you know, I think we're probably doing a lot of the same activities as others, but that was a purposeful focus from 2020 till now. Okay. Gotcha. I want
0: to double click on that last thing you said, because I Mm -hmm. think it's really important. If you're doing the same things as other people and other people aren't succeeding, what do you think you guys are doing differently?
1: In terms of a marketing piece of it, we probably put a bigger focus in our budget on marketing than the traditional law firm that's kind of stable. So I'd say one thing is that there's a financial contribution to that that we made, a financial commitment to that that we made mm-hmm. that's probably more significant than others. And, and then during that time, you know, Sometimes you put a lot of money into it and you, for instance, like you may get a lot of calls, but you're getting a lot of bad calls, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, unrelated to to what your firm does, things like that. So then over the course of time, we've tried to tinker with it, you know, figure out what's working, what's not, where's the better calls coming from. And so I think we probably have focused a little more on improving the quality of what we're doing maybe Mm -hmm. than other firms. I mean we we have a full-time marketing manager and a lot of what he does is analysis of where do the calls come from how good are they you know what are the sources and so that's that's a function that it takes a lot of data to, to yeah. be able to to work on it but it also takes a lot of time and effort and it's, it's a full-time job for us
0: yeah Well, I kind of see a lot of commonalities just being in sort of the investment that you guys are making, right? Because it's like it's and a lot of people think that begins and ends with the budget. But like, you know, in these days, it's like you need budget to have data with which you can analyze. And, you know, it's budget, but it's also the, you know, the managerial bandwidth that you're committing in terms of, and also, you know, probably clearing the way for other people who don't want to deal with, you know, some zany lead, <laughs> just like, Hey, look, we're working towards something here. Let's, let's get to it. And then finally having a full-time staff person to tend of just getting all like the, the strings together. And like, you know, I might've um, kind of had, a <laughs> might've leading the witness a little bit, because I think one of the situations as far as like what we see people failing at is like, Hey. I'm doing Apple. This guy's doing Apple. Why is he winning? Why am I losing? I'm doing AdWords. This guy's doing AdWords. Why is he winning? Why am I losing? Or, you know, probably the more ego protective people are saying, "Well, that guy's doing AdWords. And I'm doing AdWords. It didn't work for me, so AdWords is impossible. It's no, no one's. No one's doing this. It's all a scam." Right. Right. But it's just, you know, once you kind of have the commitment, and you're, you know, you're you're really going to make things work out and put, you know, the money, the time and the, you know, the personnel behind it, it's like, you know, I think that's how people end up succeeding in stuff that other people might think is impossible, you know, it's probably the same, you, you might have had not that different of the first month than anyone else on these platforms. But like, after sticking to it, you're probably in a much better place.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. It's something that you know, at the beginning I was managing it. And so I, I know the level of complexity that goes into trying to figure out what's working and what's not and the frustrations that come along with it. And, you know, we've tinkered with outsourcing, bringing stuff in house, doing those different things. So it's a lot of work and it's a lot of commitment to drive that piece of it. But if that's part of your marketing plan, that's the
0: commitment level, I think. That's also super interesting too, because like I think, um, kind of like going back to that, uh, like whole like Steve Jobs thing. It's like I think people sometimes people just like obsessed with having stuff like DIY, but you know, to get to the point where you're at, where you're running a larger organization, it's like you know, you you had to do it out of necessity at some point. But once you mm-hmm. got to the point where that wasn't the highest and best use of your time, you know, you're able to delegate in a much more informed way, right? Because it's like you you know what to expect. It's like it's like. The classic, I call this the mechanics dilemma. Sometimes it's like you know, if you don't know anything about your car, they can tell you, you need to replace your transmission when you got like low tire pressure, right? So like, right, you, yeah, I, I think marketing is one of those places where you know, um, <laughs> like it's 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 really tough to know because it's so damn complex. But um, you know, it's uh, a major kudos to just kind of getting that scaled up into the point where it's like off your plate too. It's not an easy transition
1: for a lot of people. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I was falling into: that lawyers, I think just constantly do with everything is that they would rather do it all themselves than hire somebody or pay somebody to do anything. And I think that is such a huge trap because it's a value trap of your time because somebody probably can do it better and you can focus on other things that you do better. And so that is just, um, that was again, a sort of a mental (laughs) hurdle that I had to get over. Yeah.
0: And kind of on that note too, and you have an interesting cross-section because you're working with attorneys, but you're also working with small businesses in general. Like, what do you think are some other common pitfalls that end up keeping businesses small?
1: Because I work with the businesses, a lot of people that I see go into business, like they open a bakery because they're great at baking, right? Or whatever that is. And being the greatest baker is enough sometimes and sometimes it's not so being great at that job doesn't mean you can run a business well and so that's kind of like i see that a lot you know somebody who's passionate talented but just not either not committed to you or doesn't have the knowledge to run the business side of it i guess i guess that's kind of along the same lines of what we're talking about but that's a big pitfall is not really having the understanding or commitment to turning your trade or your passion into a business. So you kind of think about the person who's self employed versus the person that's running a business. You know, self employed, everything runs through that person, but the person running a business is kind of overseeing something different. And so that transition, I think, you know, it, it's mental, it's a skill set, it, it's a number of things where people can get tripped up. Yeah honestly,
0: I think like the commitment is a huge factor too, because just like like I think a lot of people like, yeah, like you know you start off day one business, you don't know any better. And you're like, yeah, like you know I really want to be running uh, have like a business that's running itself." Well, it's easy to do that until you have your first situation where an employee absolutely bungles something. Right. <laughs> you got to have that or a client, the fire blows up, which happens, it happens sure. to all of us, right? Yeah. But I think also sometimes in those moments, it's like, you know, people really have to discover. I mean, I think probably like, you know, if somebody really is, and you you see different kind of levels of like conviction with different people. I'm sure, right? There's there's people who are going to walk through fire for 10 years to get like what they want. There's people who are going to turn away at the first thing. And it's like, sometimes in those moments, like I think it's important for people to like really take an inventory of
1: like whether it's something they really want, right? For sure. Well, and, and a big a big piece of it is fear, right? So, you know, you're afraid of something going wrong. You You see all the pitfalls, you see all the risks. And the deal is, are you more afraid of things going wrong than you are convicted that you want to go and get them, you know, do them right? And so I, I see a lot of people in business and as lawyers who are growing, kind of controlled by their their own fears. And that's a big limiting factor, I think, too. What has been...
0: This is kind of a big open question, but like, you know, you've gone through a lot of these same things yourself too, Kevin. Like what's kind of kept you comfort in, in moving forward and taking things to the next level over time? Because, you know, I'm sure it doesn't get any less scary. It just becomes, you know, different challenges as things kind of get bigger, right? What's kept you going?
1: Well, one thing is, I think if you take, you know, a couple baby steps in faith that it's going to go well and it does go well, and then you get, you know, more comfortable to say, all right, you know, I was, I was nervous about this. And that was 16 steps ago. And, you know, if I would have never done that, I'd never be here. And then you kind of start imagining what it could be down the road. So so, so I guess I would say, you know, a history of seeing things, small things go well, is kind of what leads to median and bigger things. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's a really good perspective, too. Because It's
0: like, I feel like, um, you know, there's some people who want to have every single step in front of them, like kind of like work out, but like, realistically, you only have to take that first one.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you can, like, if you have a marketing plan. For your firm and it's ambitious and you can break it down into small steps and kpis and once we hit this we'll get to the next thing And then it, it's a little more digestible and less scary so that's a that's a good way for every step to just kind of break it down into things you feel like you can do today or this week or this month okay
0: gotcha now you mentioned something super interesting to me which is the word kpis <laughs> yeah yeah. um now let's talk about that a little bit too and like we can either kind of take this kind of focus around the marketing stuff or just kind of like the company in general so like how do you like you know what are the major kpis that you guys focus on as a firm and like uh, how do you break those down to like you know the key people that are responsible for them
1: so operationally we have three and i'll tell you real quick here because i can i can pull them up so the first one is our our utilization rate which is you know how much are our attorneys utilized, you know, how much of their time is spent on billable work, and the second one is realization, meaning how much of their time actually gets billed, and the last one is uh, collections, you know, how much of the bill time gets paid, so those are kind of our three operational ones, and we can measure those within our system, and then we can measure those against industry benchmarks of, of firms that are performing well or average or not well. That's super cool. And like, do you have supporting KPIs
0: that kind of build into this? So like, you know, with your intake person, for example, too, it's like, I guess like they necessarily have billable hours themselves, but like, Mm -hmm. how do you keep somebody that's not like directly on that KPI oriented towards that KPI or or something else? Or, you know, or maybe they're, they are, I I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, so like our intake person would look at things like total calls versus calls that are set for a consultation, meaning it was a good match versus consultations that became clients so mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a, a measure of that person's success but it's a measure of our of the quality of our marketing
0: okay gotcha that's interesting and how are you keeping people accountable to these numbers
1: well so everybody's compensation is tied somewhat to performance in various ways so we don't have like a true billable hour goal or, or anything for anybody else but but they The way that they make money is either, you know, on their own performance or, you know, on some of these, we talked about some of these awards that we give for kind of just an excellent job and various things. And I don't really feel like I have to micromanage anybody in those respects. I mean, everybody's kind of dictating their own success.
0: Okay. Gotcha. No, it's kind of interesting too. Like, I'm starting to kind of connect the dots and they, you thought about this incentivization thing once or
1: twice. <laughs> yeah. Which well, is cool. And it, you know, it's, a part of it is because I've, I've sat in that seat before and mm. it's tough to say, Hey, here's a goal for the year, hit it. And then if you do, we get a little bonus or whatever. And that's tough to stay on track and stay motivated. So it's nice to, to hit those things as you go and you can make what you want to make. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. And uh, I'm guessing this kind of gets fed back into like your meeting cadence and that kind of stuff too. Like how often are are these numbers getting reviewed with people? Like kind of make sure that they're like able to, to hit their
1: course correct if they're not in a good place. Well, I mean, everybody gets kind of instant feedback each month on where they're billing and where they're collecting and doing those things. And that, you know, that feedback goes into paychecks. So that's, right. <laughs> that's something that's <laughs> very not, tangible, <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> tangible piece of it. And, you know, we, we do have like each lead attorney has like a, a regular meeting with their own people to kind of review case status and, and things that are going that way and, you know, success of individual cases. And then we kind of have our, our big annual meeting to go over how things have gone over time. So it was kind of all, it's like building blocks up to that point.
0: Yeah, Gosh, gotcha. That's super cool. And then, kind of as far as, you know, switching gears to the future, like what do you think is next for the law firm?
1: Well, just kind of looking over the growth over the last couple of years, I think we will kind of continue to use this platform and grow and help as many small businesses as we can, I mean, that's really our, that's really the kind of driving heart of what we're trying to do is have a great place for attorneys to work and a great platform for small businesses to get their legal services. All right. That's awesome. All right. (laughs) It's been excellent. <laughs> My editor's going to have a field day with this one. Okay. Um,
0: Kevin, it's been an awesome conversation, super wide ranging, but like, I think there's some really, really big lessons for the listener on how to kind of think about these things. And uh, Kevin, I just want to say like, thank you so much for for sharing um, your philosophy around this stuff. I think a lot of the execution people kind of get tied up in the nuts and bolts, but at the end of the day, it's coming from a place of purpose. I think that, you know, you can have all of the artifice- of great operations, but if it doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day, no one's gonna do it, at least of all yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But uh, when you start from purpose and and keep it in top of mind, you know, sky's kind of the limit. So um, thanks again, Kevin. I really appreciate you taking the time to to make here with us. Thank you, it was great to be with you. All right, and for everybody else, I will see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next
1: episode.